Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, I love my church. I do a lot. And one of the people I really love is Joni. And uh, she was the one who gets away with calling me Saint Nation. Um, I talked about her last week. She is awesome. I can't believe it was 20 years ago uh, that we began our preschool ministry. And I want to tell you, 20 years of uh, just uh, wonderful children passing through that were prepared uh, for their uh, for kindergarten and, and ready to go. And uh, I appreciate that. One of my daughters was the first student in the first class. So uh, it was a great job. And I would encourage you, uh, share that with people. You know, we got to share our church and share what's good and what's going on. And uh, we, we just have a great here and safe environment for them. Well, guys, we're in a, we're in a study we've been in for uh, two weeks. Today's the second week of that. So if you missed uh, last week, you didn't uh, get too far behind, and we'll definitely catch you up. We're glad you come to, to share with us uh, in this study, I Love My Church. You know, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in the service uh, right out here, and I got a text on my phone, and uh, nobody's exempt from that. Fortunately, it was turned off, uh, silence, but it was buzzing. And, and it was one of my neighbors, and uh, she said, Randy, you have a cow that's having a calf right now. And I was a little bit distracted, i got to be honest with you. I only have two cows, and so that was a pretty big deal for us. But she sent this picture, and I think we got it up here maybe. Yeah, there we go. So, so this was what she took a picture of. On the ground, the white little spot is actually the calf. And there's Princess, the mother, kind of looking over it. The cow in the background is Mabel. She's the grandmother. Uh, the one to the far right is Uncle Little Bit, the second. Chewy the donkey, he... He's got to be in the middle of everything. He's not related, but uh, he thinks he is. And, uh, and then the, the, the one standing, the small one, is, little, is um, thing one, and the baby calf is thing two. And the reason why we call them thing one and thing two and we don't name them is because they're going to be beef. And we don't get personal with beef. I've discovered that. My wife does not want to name something she's going to eat. All right? Now, I wanted to see that picture because I, when I saw that and I thought we were, knew we were going this week, I thought, man, that is a picture of community right there. When the baby calf is born, everybody crowds in and they smell it, you know, and they look at it and they're just amazed by what they've seen. And uh, so I thought, you know, that's going to work for this message on community. Now, go ahead and take that down. It's distracting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Now, I'm not saying the church ought to be like a herd of cows, even though the analogy could play out there in some areas, but community is pretty important, isn't it? It's pretty important. You know, a few weeks ago when we were studying the book of John, wrapping that up, we talked about Jesus and his prayer before he was arrested in the garden, and if you'll remember, one of the things that Jesus prayed for was unity. He prayed for unity among his people, among believers, and that's pretty important, I think, when we talk about community, because guess what? The last half of the word community is actually unity. And so that connects pretty well in that Jesus wants there to be unity within the body of Christ, and that comes within the community of the church. You know, our world is seeking and longing for community, I believe. However, they don't, it's like we want it, but we don't. Have you ever had anything like that? You want it, but you don't really want to be a, participate and be a part of that. And uh, so here, here I think is the, in, in our world today, here is the enemy of community. And let's throw that picture up. It is a privacy fence. Isn't a privacy fence kind of the enemy of, of community? If you live in a neighborhood, you know, a little bit there. And I'm not ragging on fences. I had a, a large one ourselves when we lived in, in, in a subdivision. But, you know, a fence comes in um, all shapes and sizes. 
Some of them are short. Some of them are even transparent. That electric uh, fence you put under, underground fence for your dogs, you know, they can't see it, but it works. Some of them are like fortresses. I think this one that we saw was like 12 feet high. And what I've noticed around in this community, there are a lot of privacy fences, probably more than anywhere else I've ever lived. And what is the fence designed to do? It's designed to either keep something in or keep something out. Now, now we live out in the county, and so most of our fences are woven wire. But when we lived in town, we lived in a neighborhood. They had a lot of different fences, and we had one ourselves, like I said. Here's the thing. When you have a privacy fence, you don't have to worry as much about what's behind it as you do what is out in front of it, right? I mean, the front yard can be cut neat and trimmed and landscaped and clean and everything's great, but the backyard is different, isn't it? Because you got a fence, it doesn't have to be as nice as the front yard, right? Your backyard may be different. You know, maybe it's a little less manicured. Maybe toys, if you've got little kids, toys laying around everywhere. Your grill is open and needs to be cleaned, and, and probably you got tables and chairs thrown around. And uh, the reason it's just not as important as the front, because we want the front to look like look neat, and that's our presentation to people. Oh, and by the way, if you have a dog that stays in the back, you got another issue to deal with, right, that you don't want people to know about or see really there. The fence really is what separates the public, what we want people to see out front, and the, the place in the back where we actually live our lives, doesn't it? I mean, I never thought about that reality quite as much as, we begin to, as I begin to think about this. So in the study that we're in now, we're talking about, I love, uh, I love my church, and we're talking about God's plan for his church, and how we've kind of lost that plan, and we want to recover that plan. And, and it's difficult to do in a world where privacy fences are the, the, the norm, right? And not only that, we buy, we got a garage, too. And, you know, for years we couldn't get our car in our garage, but now we actually can. But you pull up to your garage, you hit a button, and the door opens up, and you drive in, and you hit a button, and the door goes down, and you walk into your house through the garage, and then if you go out, it might even not even be out front. It's in the backyard. Our lives are lived kind of individually and separate from one another. We're just not connected like we ought to be, and like God wants his church to be. He wants us to live connected lives. Connected, first of all, to him, and secondly, connected to one another. And that just can't happen when we live in a world full of fences that we have built. And so today we're going to be talking about that connectedness that we also call community. And you know what? Community is important to being a church that pleases God. It really is important. I know a lot of us feel like in our world, I'm just going to go and do my thing. I'm going to go to church, you know, worship God, hear about it, hear the message, and I'm going to go home. But you know what? We're not really the church that God wants us to be. We're just, we're just going through the motions. He wants there to be some kind of community. And I think all of us would say, yeah, I want to have community. You know, it's, it's a need that we have in common, but at the same time, we kind of push back on that, and we all have to admit that we like a good fence at times. Because a good fence controls what people see in our lives. Out front of our lives, everything looks great, right? Nice, neat, all together. Even in church, we come together, we all look great, we wear nice clothes, and we wear a nice smile, and we come in and we pretend everything is fine. We pretend that everything is great, just like our front yard has this facade, you know, inside, but we don't let people know. Somebody might say, how you doing? Doing great, which is what they want to hear, right, because they don't want to go a lot deeper. We, we really don't want to go much deeper sometimes. So we like the front yard, we like to look out. Out front, things look great, nice, neat all together. But in the back, what happens? Everything is different, right? Everything is different. That's the real us in the backyard. 
And getting there happens only by invite. It's messy, isn't it? It's not as nice as what we say we are professed to be. Some parts of our lives are not neat. And to be honest with you, there's some piles that we don't want anybody stepping in or messing with, right? Because we all have those issues in our life. That's the yard of our lives. But I want you to know that God wants our lives to be more open. God isn't a big fan of fences, to be honest with you. Now, let me just make a disclaimer. I'm not talking about your yard fence, so please don't go home, some redneck, hook your truck to your fence and jerk it out of your yard. Please don't do that. Some fences are necessary and good. For example, we once had a neighbor in his 50s, he laid out in his Speedo, and we were really glad we had a privacy fence, you know? Everybody was happy that that we didn't have to, to enjoy that. And living in the country, we've discovered that good fences make good neighbors. You ever heard that? Good fences make good neighbors. It keeps what's theirs on their side and what's yours on your side. That's pretty important, and we can appreciate that. But here's the thing. God does not want us to build fences around our lives to deliberately keep people out. He doesn't want us to do that. And many of us, in fact, if not all of us do that, it's not healthy for us, and it also excludes people. And that's not what Jesus is all about. So we talked enough about fences. Fences. Let's jump into the Bible and see where we're taking our text today. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to read with us. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So here's what the Bible tells us, that that if we're going to love the church the way that God wants us to love the church, there's some things we have to acknowledge. One of those things is fences, that there are fences in the church. There have always been fences that have kept us from one another and also from God, if you think about it. But here's the first thing to note is that Jesus crashed the fence. He is a fence crasher if there ever was one. And this scripture here is a really good, clear picture of that. The writer talks about the, the uh, most holy place. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament and the, and the temple setting, uh, the, the imagery is pretty cool there. He's talking about a holy place, and he's talking about priests. And he's talking about Jesus, who is our high priest, and how he has opened up the way for us to come to God. And here's the imagery in the Old Testament. In the temple, they had different divisions. There was a common court where everybody could come and worship. And then there was a holy place where only the Jewish people could come and worship. It was a large area, the largest part of the temple itself. And then behind it, there was a large and thick, wide and tall curtain. And this curtain separated the holy place from the most holy place, so the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was, uh, was uh, several things. There was the Ark of the Covenant. There was uh, manna. There was uh, Moses' staff that was used when they led the Israelites out of Egypt. There were several things, but it was there more than anywhere that God lived. The Shekinah glory of God actually lived in that place. And so the, the, hope, the priest could not go in. The normal priest couldn't. Only the high priest could go in there only one time a year. 
to worship God and to bring the sins of the people before God. I, I always thought it was fascinating. I'm told they would tie a rope around his waist when he went in in case he had a heart attack or something and died, and they would drag him out because nobody else could go in there. That's how holy and special that it was. And the people recognized and recognized the power of God there. The intercession was made in the whole, most holy place of the Holy of Holies. But what the writer's saying here is Jesus is our high priest, and he crashed the fence to God, literally. Because if you remember, one of the things that happened when Jesus died was that curtain that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom and destroyed. They couldn't even put it back together, obviously. It was just destroyed. And that was symbolic of Jesus tearing down the fences, the barrier between us and God. And now the Bible says that through Jesus Christ, we can approach the throne of God. We can draw near to him with confidence because Jesus has removed all the barriers that once existed and he has made a way for all of us to come to God. Now, obviously at this point, there are no physical curtains or barriers or fence that prevent us from coming to God. But there is a barrier in all of our lives, and that is the barrier of sin that has to be dealt with. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our fence becomes a barrier that separates us from God's holiness. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. And death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, is separation from God and from other people. But the Bible says that whenever we acknowledge our sins and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus comes into our life and he crashes the fence on our behalf, and then we can come freely to God and have community with God and relationship with God. So before we can even talk about having real community with others, we have to experience community with God. So the most important question I would ask you today is, have you done that? Have you experienced a joining or a unity in relationship between you and God? Have you acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And have you given him your life, invited him to come in? Have you been baptized to experience that new birth of being dying to self, being buried and raised with Christ? If not, that is your next step on your journey. And I would love to have that conversation with you at some point. Because the scripture says, yes, the wages of sin are death, but the second part of Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So once that barrier has been broken in our life, has been torn down, then we're called to be fence crashers for other people and invite them into our yard. And this is where it gets difficult, you know, because we love the idea of God opening us to us and us entering in. But when it comes to other people coming into our lives, it's a little more difficult, isn't it? But I want you to imagine just a moment, the whole process. Imagine all of mankind standing before the fence of sin, standing before knowing the glory of God, but not being able to approach him. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the fence just falls down. There are no longer any barriers, no fences left up, not between God, not between God and people, not between us and others. And anything that could separate us, all status, color, nationality, age, gender, whatever it might be, we're all standing equal before God. All of us are on level ground as sinners in need of a Savior. That's where we are, if you can imagine that in your mind. And Jesus has just opened up the way to God and to salvation. And the scripture says here in Hebrews 10, we read, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. 
So we run into God's yard. We run in there and, you know, and, and we begin to enjoy the, the community with God. But then it says that we should hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So as a result of our access to God through Jesus, now we're called to do something else, to live the life, to be a neighbor, to be a friend of God and a part of the family of God, but that implies other things. It implies that other people are now invited into our life, and we're seeking to be in their life to share Jesus with them. Here's the sad thing. While we should be in community with God and with others because of our salvation, oftentimes what we do immediately after that is we start building a fence up between ourselves and other people because we don't want them to see our dirty laundry. Because even though we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we're not in practice, we're still struggling to get there. We know that we are more, now more aware of our sin in our lives, and so we begin to build these fences up, and we think that now that we're Christians, we have a double duty to appear like we all have it all together. And so we start putting these defenses up so that when people say, how are you? We go, oh, I'm great. You know, it's loving the Christian life, living for Jesus, you know? And it sounds like everything is great, but the reality is we know that we're still struggling in our backyard. It's kind of messy, right? Now, I'm not saying that we tell everybody everything about our lives. I, I, there are people who give us too much information, right? Sometimes people do that, and you don't know, even know what to do with it. What I'm saying is that when we come to know the Lord, and if we're going to love His church, we have to do, uh, do so intentionally. And we have to intentionally love one another, and we can't do that behind a fence. And it's a hard thing to do. It really is, and all of us struggle with it. I will tell you, I would like for you to think that things are better in my life than they are. All right? So when you say, hey, Randy, you look like you got it all together. Sure do. Everything's great in my world. All right? How about yours? You know, we all want that, right? We don't want to acknowledge that we're struggling with issues or relationships or whatever it might be. Here's what Paul, who we assume to be the writer of Hebrews, says about it. He says, you've got you to connect with people. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And this is the verse that preachers use all the time. We use it to guilt you out and to make you feel guilty because you don't come to church every Sunday and to try to keep you in line if you do. That's, that's how we do that, all right? But in reality, Paul's not just talking about coming to church. That's kind of like the minimum thing. <laughs> He's talking about something bigger here. And he's talking about more than just going to church. He's talking about doing life together. He's talking about living in community where you don't just know their face and know where they sit on Sunday morning, but you actually have a relationship with them. Community means authenticity. It means the sharing of ourselves with other people, a much deeper relationship that he's calling us to come into than just sitting in the chairs in the same room. It is so easy to do this. We come into church and we sit. If you sit in the back, you see a lot of the back of people's heads, right? You know what color the hair they have or, you know, if they need to touch their roots or whatever it might be. But, but, you know, you don't know that person very well. You don't know what's going on in their world. You might not even know their name. A lot of you all are saying, well, who is that so-and-so who's sitting, you know, that person who's got brown hair? I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of people with brown hair. I don't, I don't know who that is. You know, we can all be in one room. It doesn't necessarily mean that we've got community when we're in one room. He's calling us to something more than that. He's, it means sometimes it means standing in somebody's yard and inviting them to come into our yard. And here's the hard part, not just the front yard, but inviting them to go into the backyard. In the backyard where things aren't so great in our life, where there's some weeds and there's stuff laying around, the shed needs painting, 
And we need to get real with each other and stop trying to hide from other people. Look at this picture up here. You guys probably recognize this guy, right? Yeah. There's Wilson. Remember him from uh, Home Improvement? Uh, Tim the Tool Man's neighbor. Uh, that's all we ever saw of him and how many, how many seasons there were. Uh, we never saw him. I, I don't think they ever saw him either. I don't think they would have known him if they met him anywhere. It just We seem to imply that he was just a neighbor that was there that, you know, when Tim was struggling with life, he would go out and, and Wilson would give him sound advice. But he didn't want to be seen and they didn't care to see him or to know him any better. And so we never, as a viewing audience either. But, you know, we can be just like that in church, can't we? We can be like that. We can go to church together. We can see each other every Sunday, but we never see each other's whole face. We never see all of who they really are. And sometimes we hide from people, and sometimes we would prefer not to know that much about them because then we feel like that might call us to do something about it, and we've got to get rid of that because we don't know what personal struggles people are going through when we're, all we're seeing is just a portion. We don't know their parent has a terminal illness. And they're trying to give care to that parent on a daily basis. We don't know that they're having problems in their marriage. We don't know that their kids are giving them fits. We don't know that they just lost their job or their health test came back. We don't know those things. And we're not going to know those things if we all live behind a fence, all locked up and lonely and safe, right? The Apostle Paul is calling us to more than that. And that's not how we're supposed to live as believers. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does he say? We are to encourage one another, not just to greet one another, encourage one another, getting past the surface and getting past you know, that, that outside and sharing what we really are struggling with. You know, we have a mentor program that we have, have uh, begun. It's just in the early stages and a few of us guys were kind of getting together. We broke up into to groups of three. And the two guys that I ended up with are awesome guys and, and already good friends of mine. I didn't negotiate. I didn't uh, pull strings or anything. But I thought, I mean, I know these guys well. You know, we've been known each other for years. But as we sat and we talked to each other, and each time we met for the first three times, we all kind of told our story. I thought, I didn't know these guys at all. I didn't know I know who they are today a little bit, but I, I saw more as they, they dropped the veil. They dropped the, the front, the, the, what, what people see, and they share and brought me into their lives. And you know, that's a great thing to do. We need that. We need to be seen and we need to see. And it's encouraging for us to be honest and share our lives with others in a non-judgmental setting. So if you're going to really love your church, then you're going to have to love someone in the church. Not just love the, the experience or not just love the concept or the outside of the building. It actually means we have to love somebody personally. And that doesn't mean we all have to become extroverts because we're not, right? There are some introverts who, who have great hearts and they're very intentional. It means that we have to choose not to live in isolation. And I guess that thing I said a moment ago was that we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional. Here's what Paul says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And the word consider means that we contemplate or we strategize, that we think about it, that we, we don't go through life isolated, but we intentionally plan out ways to experience community with one another. And one of the ways that we do that, we do it in a lot of ways here. Uh, on Sunday morning, we encourage people to fellowship, obviously, 
We encourage you to, you to greet our guests that are out there. But, but it goes beyond that. We have classes that meet both hours. We have classes that meet at 9.30 and then at 11. And they're great opportunities. If Sunday is the best time during this chunk of time for you to be with other people, there are some awesome classes that are studying God's Word as we speak right now. I would encourage you to check out one of those. There are more that happen at 11 o'clock. But we also have journey groups that meet all throughout the week. These are ways that we intentionally say, I'm going to take an evening of the week and I'm going to meet with some people because I need it and they need it and we're going to collectively experience some time together. And we have journey groups that meet almost every night of the week, almost every day of the week, as far as I can tell. In fact, in this study, as you know, we've been pulling some new ones together. I think we've added 50 to 75, which means we have probably over 150 people meeting in groups, probably more than that, uh, every week just sharing with one another. And that's important. We all need those kind of experiences. We all need to be able to, to, to acknowledge that. We have to be intentional in encouraging one another and in practicing the, the whole idea of community. See, seeing beyond the walls and fences that you or other people have built up and offering to help pull the weeds, or maybe paint the shed, or, or babysit the kids, or bringing a meal in crisis, or maybe meeting somebody for dinner or lunch with no agenda, let's just chat, let's just visit. Having people you can call when you break down the road, which is a very handy thing to do, by the way. And you know you would go get them, they will come get you. Fellowship, you don't feel guilty because you share something and you, you'll, you'll do it willingly for the other person. It's getting together not just because you have to, because you want to. Now, I would like to think that just happens automatically, but not in my world. Not in my world. I can fill my time and my moments and my evenings with plenty of things. It's not going to happen by accident. We have to plan. We have to make these things happen. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, that sounds like too much work. Because I'm going to have to not do something else, right? Probably don't have a bunch of spare evenings just wondering what you're going to do with them, right? You have to make it a priority. You have to make it happen. It's worth it. I know. I know because I have those people in my life. I've been blessed to be in, in relationships and community with a lot of people over the last few years. And it's great to have that. And I will do whatever I can do for those people or anyone, but I don't know what's going on in your world, and you're not going to call me in most cases. You know, what I've discovered in, in the last 30-some um, years of ministry is that things have changed a lot. We're much more independent. Some of you people will go in and have a major surgery and never, ever let me know. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> now, I feel bad because I'd love to minister to you, but I don't know. I'll find out later, you know, something's happened. The, the, the church has, has changed a lot. We need to be willing to let people know what's going on in our world. Invite people in and be intentional about that. And um, let me throw a couple of, of uh, suggestions out as, as we start to wrap up. Here's the first thing. Have healthy expectations on that. Healthy expectations. You know, it's not realistic to think that we're going to be best friends or connect with everybody in the church. It just doesn't happen. A, hap a healthy expectation is that I can build some great connections with some people. I can be you know, great friendships with some, and I will have a deep relationship with a few people. That's, that's healthy and that, that, that's reasonable. Secondly, realize that baby steps are okay. Baby steps are okay. You're not going to let, let every person into the more personal parts of your life the first time you talk to them. You ever talk to that person? Scares you to death, doesn't it? Just be a little cautious. You know, not the first time you talk to them. It will scare them, and later on you'll probably regret that you told them. 
At first, you're going to hang out with people in the front yard, and then you're going to invite them into the formal living room, and then maybe they'll sit around your kitchen table, and maybe only then will they get into the backyard and they'll really see what life is like, right? Keeping the analogy going, that's how it will happen. And then thirdly, take some ownership. Take some ownership in this. This is everybody's job. It's not everybody else's job. I love what the Bible says about friendship. It says, he who wants friends has to be friendly. That's kind of shorthand, but that's what it is. You've got to take the initiative in this. You can't wait for everybody else to do it. It's everyone's job, not everybody else's, and we all have to work at it. So if you're just sitting around waiting for somebody to come to you, you're sitting in the wrong place. So I would encourage you on a scale of one to 10, just ask yourself, how much effort am I putting into connecting with other people? Or am I just waiting for them to rush to me, which oftentimes doesn't happen, right? We have to put forth the effort to do that. Now, is it everything? Jesus Christ is our best example, right? Because Jesus Christ left his home, a perfect place, front yard and backyard, heaven. And he left that to came here to earth, and he came to live among us, and then to invite us to come and live with him. So he's the best example I can think of that would open his life up to others, invite you into his life, and ask you to invite him into your life. As we come to our time of response, I would love to challenge you just to think about that. If you're trying to live life alone, whether you're in Christ or not, it's just not going to work. You have to have a relationship with Jesus to find meaning and purpose in life, and then we need community in the body of Christ. And here's the thing, if you are not in a group and you'd like to do that and you just maybe have neglected signing up, it's not too late. You can see Tony, I think the list may still be out there. If not, we'll, we'll get a, ch- a chance for you to sign up. You can see me and we'll try to get you connected because we want you to live the abundant Christian life and that has to be done in fellowship, in connection and relationships. Let's kind of wrap up this morning. <clears throat> We're going to go to our time of communion and uh, I just wanted to say how Community and communion are pretty close together, isn't it? There's a commonness that we experience in community. There's a commonness that we experience in communion as we come and we fellowship with God through Jesus, but also with one another. So we invite you, if you are a believer, uh, to, to join us in this time of communion. Our tables are set. We ask you to come up just the, the, out, the, the side aisles and then circle back around. And, and as we share, would you give a special thought to the fact that you are communing with other people around you and uh, maybe pray, whisper a prayer for them as you commune. But all of us need to recognize the purpose of this, and that is that we will take a few moments to take the cup and the juice, to remember the love of Jesus, him inviting us and making a way for us to come to him through his death on the cross. The cup, which represents the, body, the blood of Christ, and the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for us. Let's pray together as we prepare to commune. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you opened up your world to us, that you sent Jesus to tear down the fence, break the walls, and tear the curtain, so that now we could come to him through, uh, come to you through him. And Lord, that in doing so, now you've opened up a new world to us. Not only is that fence broken down, but all the barriers that should that exist between humans, all the differences. Father, should be falling down and we see each other all the same as you see us in need of a Savior. So Lord, as we come now to commune, help us celebrate your love and your sacrifice for us. Father, I pray you would bless these emblems, that they would be uh, to us a token, a symbol of the 
body and blood of Jesus and that by partaking of them, we would be encouraged and drawn to you. Lord, I pray all these things in Christ's name.